So today, we're going to continue and finish the four-part series that Greg started on Easter Sunday. So you guys remember how we started out with this series called Made New, right? How Easter changes everything for us. And so today, we're going to finish that up, and the title of today's message is Faith in Action. The other thing I want to mention today is we have a unique uh, opportunity today. We don't get to do this maybe, I think, four times a year, is Fifth Sunday. Today is a fifth Sunday of the month, and you'll notice today there's probably more people in here than there normally is uh, for a service. We've got our kids joining us today because today is a, a family integration day for Derby Creek Church. So kids, I want to encourage you to come up here because I've got something I want to share with you first. So come on down here. Hang out right up here on, up here, up on these chairs here. Come on, kids, all the kids. And if parents want to come too, you're welcome to come. So, but I think the kids are good on their own. So, Andrea, you're a kid. You're a kid at heart, right? So, go ahead, have a seat. Okay. Let's see if this works. Okay, the pictures. The picture's not showing up. That's okay. All right, I've got a riddle for you, and I want you to tell me if you think you know what it means. I love riddles, don't you? Do you love riddles? Yeah? Oh, okay. Well, here it comes. Okay? Now, let's see if you can figure out what this riddle is talking about. Listen closely. Okay? I am one book. Now, don't answer until I get through the whole riddle. Okay? Because some of you might pick it up. Some of you are pretty smart. I am one book, but also 66 39 books from the men of old. 27 books the new men told. Three languages these books did speak. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Okay, who thinks they know what it is? Raise your hand. Does anybody have an idea? Okay, Thaddeus, what do you think that riddle was about? The cross? Okay, close. Anybody else? Thaddeus? You sure? The cross? Okay, that's a good one. Charlotte? It's the Bible. Very good. You guys are so smart. It's the Bible. And the Bible has to do with the cross, right? It's the Bible. Yes, it is. The cross is right over there. The Bible is one big book about God's love. And it's made up of 66 smaller books. You guys see this? This is the Bible. And there's 66 smaller books in there. Did you know that? The Old Testament is the first part of the Bible. And it's got 39 books that tells the story of God's people before Jesus was born. That's right, he was a baby. And then after he was born, we have the New Testament. And there were 27 books written there. And it tells us the story of Jesus and his life and the early days of God's church. Now, originally, the Bible was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. But now it's been translated into almost 3,000 languages. Can you believe that? It's all over the world, including English. Now, most of you probably have a Bible at home, right? You have a Bible... You have a Bible at home? Yeah. And you probably like reading it and listening to God's Word. But the... Yes, yes. And singing. Yes, we love singing and and listening to the Word. But you know that there's a book in the Bible. It's the book of James. And in the book of James, he has something important to teach us. Okay? Listen to this verse from James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. James says... Don't just listen to the word. You fool yourselves if you do that. You must do what it says. Suppose someone listens to the word but doesn't do what it says. Then they are like a person who looks at their face in a mirror. After looking at themselves, they leave and they forget what they look like. And right away, they forget what they look like. Hmm, That sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? Let me show you what James is talking about. All right. First, I'm going to need a helper to help me create a very memorable face. And I've already asked Mr. Cam to come down and help me out. 
Come on down, Mr. Cam. He already has a pretty memorable face, doesn't he? But we're going to make it more memorable. Okay, here we go. Are you ready for this? Okay, now. Let's see. Hmm, what do I have? In, oh, this will be good. He's already got a little bit of this, but we're going to add more to it. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Okay. Mr. Cam, would you, would you put that on, please? Okay. Hey, all right. <laughs> okay, now, he, he needs a little bit more of this, don't you think? So. A little bit, little bit more of this. So let's see here if I can, if I can help you find the beginning here. Oh, look at those bangs! Aren't those, aren't those cute bangs, Kalia? Aren't those, aren't those cute bangs? Let's see if we can get those on him. Okay, there we go. All right, and then, ah, uh, it wouldn't be complete without a hat, would it? So yeah, it looks like he's going on vacation. So go ahead and put that on, Mr. Cam. All right, now. This is a pretty memorable face, don't you think? A pretty memorable face, right? Now, imagine, though, if I showed him his face in a mirror, okay? Cam, go ahead and take a look at yourself. That's what you look like. Okay. Do you see? Now, he sees his look. Now, Cam, let me ask you some questions. Are you, do you have a beard? I don't know. Hmm. Do you, do you know what color your beard is? I don't know. Uh, is that silly? He just, he just saw in the mirror. You can see what you look like, can't you? Yeah, you know what you look like. Okay, Mr. Cam, what color is your hair? I don't know. How silly. <laughs> he should have been able to see that, right? And then, are you wearing a hat? He doesn't know. Do you see? Thank you very much. That was very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> you know how to undress. Wasn't that silly? He should have remembered he had purple hair. Right? Do you see that looking in a mirror and then forgetting what you look like after you look in the mirror? It's kind of silly, isn't it? It's very silly. But that's what James is talking about. It's like when you listen to God's word, but you don't do what it says. You look at the Bible one minute, and then when you put it down and go away, you do something completely different and not even listen to it, not even do what it says. It's just like looking at your face in a mirror and not knowing what you look like when you leave. That's how silly it is. It's just as crazy as forgetting what your face looks like. For a lot of situations... You probably already know what God's words tells you, what God's word tells you to do and what he wants you to do. What James is saying is that if you know what God wants you to do, then just do it. It's that simple. We have to put our faith into action. Now, let's say a prayer right now and ask us for God to help us today. Okay, so let's pray. Would you guys fold your hands and close your eyes with me and pray? Okay. Dear Jesus, we just thank you so much for what you've taught us today. We thank you for your word and how you use it to teach us and guide us and direct us. Lord, help us to remember that when we study the Bible, we are to find out what it tells us to do, not just what we need to learn, but what we need to do. And help us to remember to do it every day. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, kids, you can have a seat. I've got some, uh, you can go back to your parents. I've got some uh, coloring pages here for you. Okay, so uh, would you help me pass those out, please? And then uh, we just got, I've got some coloring pages for you that has to do with what we just learned. Very cool. Okay. As they're sitting down, I'm just going to go ahead and pray again, uh, just to kind of ask the Holy Spirit to lead us in our teaching this morning. Okay. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word and every single book uh, in it. We know that every book is profitable for teaching and education and reproof and training up in righteousness. Father, we just ask you to help us to learn from it today, help us to see what your word, even though it may be difficult, 
Uh, help us to learn uh, what it is that you have for us today. Holy Spirit, fill, uh, fill me with yourself and empty me of me that your words would be taught and not, and not mine. Just thank you for all that you do, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once for, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. So I just read for you this morning. So we've been going through, in the past three Sundays, we've been seeing how Easter changes everything, right? If it weren't for Easter, we wouldn't have had the resurrection. We wouldn't have had, and then after the resurrection, we wouldn't have had the ascension. And Jesus sitting, on the, sitting at the right hand of God on the throne this morning, today, for all of eternity. We saw in that first message that faith in Christ makes us new. It takes faith to trust in him and to believe in him. And after that faith, we need to accept the forgiveness that God has given us through his son and through what he's done on the cross. Right? We learned about how we need to, for, we need to be getting past our past and let Jesus Forgive us, and he can forgive all things. Amen? He can forgive all things. And then last week, we talked about God's family, the church. And that's you here today. We're part of the kingdom, and that's the people who we are. So today, we're actually going to dive a little bit deeper into that church aspect of it and look at what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian. We're going to talk about faith in action, and how to do this. So, uh, whether or not you were listening earlier, that introduction with the kids had just as much impact for you this morning, at least it should have, uh, as it did for the kids today. Because what I just read is what we read in James, chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Now, the bulk of our message this morning is going to be in James, chapter 2, but I just wanted to kind of set the scene for you with that, and that, that beautiful image of the mirror Looking at the mirror, and you know, every one of you look at a mirror today. You look beautiful. Every one of you look great. Some of you may not have looked in the mirror as long as others, but that's okay. So, but you all know what you look like. You remember what you look like. How silly it is to think when you walk away, you forget what you look like, right? That's the, that's the kind of idea that James is talking about here. Listen and do what is right. And so uh, as you're reading through the Bible, if you're a new believer or if you've been a believer for a long time, and you trust in Jesus, you want to study his word, you want to read through it, well, eventually you get to James. You get to the book of James. And James is kind of a hard hitter uh, in, in, some, in some degrees, as we're, even as we're going to see today. There's some things that's like, well, that sounds kind of contradictory to what Paul said in some of the other letters. Well, as we're going to see today, it's not contradictory, it's complementary. We're going to see how it all works together and fits together. Okay, so we saw how uh, if one who doesn't do what the Word of God tells them to do is like a person who looks in a mirror and doesn't remember who, what they look like, we also see uh, James here in chapter 1, verse 26, saying this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, this bridling of the tongue, what he's talking about here is if you can talk the talk but don't walk the walk. You can talk all day long about what your faith is and what you believe and what people should be doing. But are you doing it? If you're not, you're deceiving yourselves. 
That's what he's getting out here. And then he goes on to say, that person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Action. It's doing something. And in fact, I think that what James is recalling here, so James is writing to believers. And for those of you who don't know, James is actually one of the brothers of Jesus. In fact, early on in his life, James didn't believe in Jesus. And now we have this wonderful book that he shared with us because he did come to a point in faith and to believe. And so he's writing to Jews. He's, he's probably writing to Jews. In fact, uh, James is believed to be, I think, believed, believed, um, if I can talk, believed to be the leader of the synagogue in Israel and as, as part of the Christian side of things. And so we see uh, he's preaching to the Jews, teaching to, uh, the Jews. And you could actually read this whole book as an entire sermon. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that for you today. But that was the intent of the book, was to read it aloud as a sermon for those to hear. And it was to be passed around to all the different tribes of the diaspora. In fact, it says in the first part of James 1, 1, it says, to the 12 tribes and the dispersion, greetings. Okay, so what he's doing here is he's probably uh, helping the Jews recall some things that they've learned. And one of the passages that he's probably pulling out here is, especially within verses 26 and 27, is comes from Deuteronomy chapter 10. Now, I don't, want to turn, I don't want to have you turn there with me this morning, but I just want you to listen to these words from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 22. The Bible reads, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. So here in this passage, we see, uh, in, especially in verses 18 through 19, we see God's concern for those who are fatherless, those who are orphans, those who are widows, and those who are sojourners. And so here in James, he's drawing this out. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He's drawing this out. In other words, believers, if you're not doing these things, your faith is not active. Your faith is not active. And he builds upon this later on in James. So let's turn to James chapter 2. This is the the bulk of our uh, message this morning here. Some of you who have read through James are very familiar with this, and uh, some of you may not be as familiar with this, but what we're going to learn today is that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. James goes on and records in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
again, here in these verses, James is likely recalling Deuteronomy chapter 10, specifically showing that God's concern for the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner, someone who is coming through town who doesn't have any means because they've given it, given it all up to travel, to move from one place to the next. And so the sojourners probably don't have clothing. And so we see if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that they need, what good is that? James is trying to draw out, if we have true faith, our concern will be God's concern. And we see God's concern there back in Deuteronomy chapter 10. So that's a very specific example for us to be able to use and to say, yes, these are the things that I should be doing. We've called them out. Uh, Visiting orphans, visiting widows, and caring for those who are in need. Those are very specific. But the other point that James is making here with these examples is, is how silly it is to think that faith without any evidence is real. Think about that. He's drawing out to show you how silly it is to think that faith without any evidence is real. Just like it would be silly to expect someone who doesn't have clothes to be clothed by your statement, go and be clothed. How silly is that? And what kind of a testimony and a witness is that to the person that you've just told? You're lying. So also, it is silly to think that faith without action is real. And in fact, James wonderfully gives us two examples to go back and look at. Two examples that would have been crystal clear for the Jews that he's, that he's teaching. And for those of us that have been in the church for a long time, should be crystal clear as well for us. He goes on to say in verse 18, This is James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Whoa. James is likening this idea that all you need is faith without works, that's the same exact faith that the demons have. Because they know God's real. They know who he is. And they shudder. So let's go on to see these examples here. These these two uh, Old Testament examples. The first one is, as we're going to see, faith on display for the sake of others. Faith on display for the benefit of others. In in verse 20 of James chapter 2, James says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Yes. Okay. What he's referring to here, it comes from Genesis chapter 22. So I want to encourage you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. I want us to see what James is talking about here. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I'm sorry, Genesis 22, not, not chapter 2. That's way too far back. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 says, After these things... God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, or, and he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering 
on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and the boy and I will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, your, here I am my son. Isaac said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, and behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns, and Abraham, or by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. This is the story that James is recalling. If you remember, Abraham had only one son, and he was probably in his late 90s, or maybe even in his hundreds at this point in time. So he only had one kid. And prior to that, prior to that, God had told him, you're going to have offspring that numbers the sands of the sea, the stars of the sky. And yet God tells him, offer him up as a burnt offering to me. Offer your only son. And so what does Abraham do? He trusts that God will provide. Okay, but the point I'm showing you here is the fact that he did what God told him to do. He went and actually began the work to do what God told him to do. And he was justified by that. He, he, God justified him in his faith by that action, with that action. Now you say, no, wait a minute, Nick. Doesn't that contradict something that Paul taught us in Romans chapter 4? If you recall, Paul said that Abraham, prior to circumcision, was justified by his faith because he believed in God. Right? That's what Romans chapter 4 teaches. And it wasn't his it wasn't the circumcision that placed him in justification with God. It was the fact that he believed prior to. But let me ask you this. If he didn't believe in God, do you think he would circumcise himself? No. The answer is no. That'd be kind of silly. That's silly. But he believed in God, and he did what God told him to do. And so Paul's, because, so James is not contradicting Paul in this. Romans, Paul actually goes on in Romans. So I said that was from Romans chapter 4. He goes on in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk. We too might walk in the newness of life. There's action there. Now, I bet you didn't catch this. I think this is so cool. Who benefited from Abraham and his action there, in his action of faith with Isaac? Who benefited? Isaac. Isaac benefited from this. Isaac was the next patriarch, the one who was going to continue the line. Isaac saw Abraham's faith in action. Not only was it for Abraham's sake, but it was for his sons. Titus chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 4 through 8 reads, 
But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And this is Titus 3, verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. It doesn't stop there. Paul says to Titus, these things are excellent and profitable for people. That they may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So our active faith, our doing what God tells us to do, our listening to the word and doing what it says is profitable, not just for us, but for everyone around us. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says to purify, it gets to 14, it says to purify for himself, God will purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And you say, well, wait a minute. What about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Doesn't it say that we weren't saved by works? We were not saved by works? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not at your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So so no one may boast. But you have to read on to verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here we see with just this first example, truth on display, faith on display, and truth, but faith on display for the benefit of others. That is the point of having an active faith, is one point, so that you would, it would benefit those around us. Now the next point I want to make here in this second example that James give us, gives us here is faith on display in spite of adversity. Faith on display in spite of adversity. I'm going to read James chapter 2, verses 25 through 26. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So this comes from, and I'm not going to read it to you today, but I encourage you to write it down and take a look at it later today in your devotional times, or even later this week, is Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. This is the passage that, uh, uh, that James is pulling out here with this story of Rahab. So here we have Rahab, the prostitute, living in the city of Jericho. You kids remember the city of Jericho? Joshua? They're they're paying attention. Uh, We have the city of Jericho, and Rahab's living there. And what did Joshua do? Joshua sent two spies into the city to check it out and to get a feel for how people were feeling about things going on and maybe getting a feel for maybe what they thought about the Israelites being near them and things like that. Well, they're running around, and they realize that they're being tracked. The king says, hey, I know that there are spies in this, in this town. We've got to find them. So go run them down. So what do they do? Rahab takes them and hides them in her room, right? And the, and the soldiers come in and ask her if they're there. And she said, no, they're probably already taken off and protects them, right? And the spies come out and they say, why would you do that? That's pretty cool that you did that for me, for us. And she says, I know that you're God. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm but saying... I know that your God is the real God. There are people, and this is the term that she, there are there are people melting with fear in this city because they know of the things that your God is doing. And so, do you realize that Rahab actually risked her life by protecting those spies and helping them see that the city was ready to be taken? Rahab risked her life 
by acting in her faith. Because she would have been accused of treason if they would have found out that she was harboring spies. So she risked her life in this face of adversity. And she did it anyway for the sake of God's kingdom so that God's kingdom would continue. Thinking about this reminds me of Christ's words in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 24. Jesus said to the disciples in the upper room right before he was getting ready to go to the cross, he said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. So how does this relate to us? How does this, this living your faith out, acting on your faith in spite of adversity, how does that relate to us? I'd say it's, it's pretty clear, actually. I think we live in a pretty hostile world. Don't you agree? As believers, we live in a pretty hostile world. And in fact, someday your belief, your belief that God is the king of the universe, that Jesus is our king, if you believe that, you might be accused of treason. Someday. That day is coming. It's coming closer. In fact, it's going to be much more easy for people to see as things progress, as time moves on, it's going to be easier and easier for people to see whether or not you're a believer. That's the action I'm talking about. It's just simply being a believer. It's going to be so easy. If you hold true to the word of God and hold true to what it says and do what it says, the world will identify you. It will be very easy. Canceling is happening already. So have your, live out your faith in spite of adversity. It's for the sake of the kingdom. Now, I'm going to wrap up here with this, with this uh, application here for you to kind of put this into practice. I have three Ps for you. Three Ps to help you put your faith into action. Okay? And I'm going to use the church in Corinth as a case study. Okay? Because guess what? Whether you like to believe it or not, well, first of all, I'll talk about Corinth and I'll talk about us. So the church in Corinth actually looked a lot more like Corinth than the church. That's the background there. The church in Corinth looked a whole lot more like Corinth than the church, what the church is supposed to look like. So let me ask you this. Does this church look like the area that it's living in, or does it look like the church? Do we look like America, or do we look like God's kingdom? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This makes it real practical for us and how to have action or how to live out our faith and be active with our faith. The first thing I want to mention is you need to know uh, your position. You need to know your position. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is writing to these believers in Corinth who, again, look more like Corinth than they do the church. They're living in sin. In fact, they're probably worse sinners than those who are living in Corinth because they believed that what they were doing was okay, even with the Spirit. And so he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Do you realize what he just said there? He called the, Corinth, uh, the church in Corinth saints. 
set apart as God's holy people. He called them saints, called to be saints together. Other translations use saints by calling or holy people. Let me ask you this. Are you a saint? Do you believe that you're a saint? It's hard to believe, but guess what? The definition that Paul uses, if you're a believer, you're a saint. You are a saint. You are a holy person. Now, we may not always act like one. We may not always act like a holy, spirit, a holy person. But how many teachers actually act like teachers? Right? I can think of another different, a couple of other examples, but we'll just leave it at that. Leviticus 11 and 1 Peter 1 uses the phrase, You shall be holy, for I am holy. It's re- referencing God, calling out the, uh, the Israelites there. Be So my point is this, in your position, as in Christ, as a believer, be who you are supposed to be, and that is a saint. You're a saint, so act like one. Act like one. Now, wait a minute, how do I, how do I know what a saint's supposed to act like? What am I supposed to do? There are 66 books, um, 39 in the Old Testament, and 27 in the New... It's all right here! Everything you need to know what it means to be a saint, it's been given to you. So read it and do it. Be a saint. You're a saint, so act like one. That's your position. Now, the next thing I'm going to mention here is your potential. I was supposed to show you that, and I didn't. So there you go. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. I'll do that for the next one. The second one here is know your potential. So you have your position. You don't feel like a saint, but you are. So be one. Now, here's your potential for being a saint, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 7 says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, so that you are not lacking in any gift. In verse 5 there, Paul says, you have been enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. How do you be a saint? Open your mouth. That's right. You are enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, so that you are not lacking in any, any gift. Whoa! You think about that? That's right. When Jesus says to open your mouth, you open it. That means you have everything you need to be a saint. You have everything you need to be a saint. When a baby is born, more often than not, when a baby is born, the baby is born with everything that baby needs to grow and develop, right? They have all of their appendages, more often than not, some are born with this, with, uh, in sin, we're born with mutations and things like that. But more often than not, babies are born with everything they need to grow. They have everything they need. They just need to grow into it. They need to grow into all those things. In the same way as you've been born again as a believer, you are born with everything you need in the Spirit. Everything you need. In fact, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. He says, in, ver- in chapter 12, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. So you are given everything you need for the sake of others. To build up the church and to build up everyone else. You have potential. Like a baby, if you are born again, you are born with everything you need to be a Christian, which results in active faith. And you can be holy. You can do all the things that Jesus has taught us to do. And the last P I want to mention here. So we've, we have position, you're a saint, you have potential, you've been given everything you need as a believer, you're enriched in him in every way, and now you have a purpose. Okay? Verses 7 through 9. Paul says, So that you are not lacking in any, in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ 
who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So our purpose is to wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain us to the end and will make us guiltless in that day of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, isn't that cool? If you're not a believer, don't you want that? Don't you want to be guiltless in front of a holy God? That's your purpose. You are to wait for the coming day of the Lord. And that reminds me, and we won't read it all, but I encourage you to study this later today. That reminds me, Jesus taught us how to wait. Do you realize that? When Jesus was here, he taught us how to wait for when he was to come. What we are supposed to do. There's two chapters in the book of Matthew. It's chapter 24 and 25. Those are parables. But all of those together show us how we are to wait for the coming of the day of the Lord. The day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 25, there at the end, there's one parable in particular that unfortunately gets misunderstood because many, more often than not, we view this parable, this is uh, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. We view this parable as a, as a call to invest our money, or it has to do with money. This parable doesn't have anything to do about money. I mean, it might if that's the gift that God has given you. But that's not what this is about. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30 we see the, it's called the parable of the talents. You may see that in your heading, the parable of the talents. This is the story of the master who gives three servants, three different servants, actually before. Uh, yeah, three uh, different servants, different amounts of talents. To one servant, he gave uh, five talents, to another two, and to another one. Well, that word talent is just a, a big word a big Greek word that just means a, a large unit of measure, a, a large sum, a large weight. And in fact, that word talent, that Greek word, is where we actually get the word talent. To each one of you, God has given you an ability. You are here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. And he has filled you with something that he wants you to use. If you read on in this parable, you see how there, the, the, there are two servants that invest their talents into the, uh, into the bank or into the workforce. And they make them grow. They use the skills and abilities that they've been given for the glory of God. And it invests and it grows and it grows and it helps build the kingdom. And then when the master comes back, the master says, what have you done? And they said, here, here is our, the talents that you've given us and everything else that we've helped, uh, that we've been able to grow off of that. And what does he say to that servant? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. This is uh, verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then there's another servant that didn't invest. In fact, he just buried his talent in the ground and did nothing with it didn't realize that who, who the master was, didn't realize that he had been given something that was wonderful and could be used every day, he buried it. And when the master came back and asked him, what'd you do with it? He said, oh, here it is. Like, you didn't use it at all. So you know what I take from this? I take from verse, uh, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, and say, you've been given a gift from God. I mean, we talked about that already, right? We, as believers, you've been given everything you need to be holy, to be saints, to be in your position. But you might ask, well, how am I supposed to know what to do? How am I supposed to know what is right? Or what, what, that what I'm doing is right? I would say, figure out what it is that God has given you. What are the gifts that God has given you? What are you good at? What do you do well? And do those things. Do those things for the glory of God and for the sake of his kingdom. And if someone asks you, why, why are you doing this? You say, because I love Jesus. Because I want to do what he wants me to do. And this is what he wants me to do. It's that simple. 
It really is. That. We, we want to make it so complicated. Well, you, you know, um, God created the earth in, in seven, six days, and, and then you build upon the story. Now, why are you doing what you're doing? You're doing it because Jesus called you to do it. That's it. And that gives you the perfect in to any conversation. Why are you doing this? Because I love Jesus, and this is what he has for me to do. I really think this is what he has for me to do because he's given me this ability to do it. And then you can get into creation because guess what? He created you the way you've been created with all your skills and abilities and talents and knowledge. God gave that to you. It's, you didn't, how did you get that yourself? God gave it to you. So use it. That's your purpose. So you have a potential. You are saints. I'm sorry, you have a position. You are saints. You are in Christ. We talked about your potential, being enriched in all speech and knowledge, all the, the gifts of the Spirit, and then the purpose. To, just to do what he's, to use the things that he's given you and just go out and do them for his glory. Now the world would like to think that it could do all of this without God. Right? You can do all these good things and, and do good works and serve people and, and take care of people. They're not doing it with the heart. They're not doing it for the sake of the glory of God and for his kingdom. I have a hard time understanding what they might be doing it for. Because if they're not doing it for themselves, I don't think they fully understand that we need to be doing this for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of people. Because God told us to do it. So without the Holy Spirit, without God, you can't actually... Put your faith in action and you can't actually live the way God has called us to live. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for this time that you've given us this morning. Thank you for your, your word. It's convicting to us that, that we want to make it, we, we want to figure out how it might be just, it might be so tough or difficult to live the way you've called us to live, but reality, it's just living the way you've called us to live. It's, it's living as a Christian. And we see all throughout the Bible how to live as a, as a believer. You taught the Israelites in the Old Testament what it, mean to be, what it meant to be set apart. And all of the laws and the regulations. And then in the New Testament, you gave us Jesus and Paul who taught us what it means to be a Christian and how to live each aspect of our lives as a Christian. And, to be, and by living that way and doing that and striving to do it for you, That's what makes us holy. But ultimately, what makes us holy is our faith in you. But our actions, we know, Father, are what show that we have faith in you. Help us to remember that and help us to live our lives accordingly so that the world can see who we are and that your kingdom would grow. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.